Welcome to Rogue Bows. This is the basketball series. Myself and Mike Procopio. Pro news from the US? Just a lot of fucking college basketball. That's all that's going on in the US, man. And look, I don't care. Like, you could love it, you could hate it. One thing I think we could all agree on let's stop with the fucking coaches dancing in the locker room after they win like a fucking jackasses that they are. But besides that, I'm good. I, <laughs> I don't care about college basketball. I don't like watching it, but I don't, I don't like, I don't care if you like it or you don't like it. That's, that's your prerogative, but I'm fucking tired of it nationwide at all levels. These coaches dancing in the locker room just for fucking social media bullshit. It's not even like real. It's fake. And it's fucking gives you glaucoma, makes you bleed from the eyes watching it. But besides that, everything's great, folks. How about you? <laughs> you know, basketball's going crazy. Basketball's it's you got March Madness. The NBA's heating up. The NBA just finished, so there is a lot going on. Not much new here, pro. Just uh, you know, NBA season's finished now, so free agency's about to start. We'll get into that a little bit later. But much of a muchness. Looking forward to to getting into this episode and and the NBA playoffs coming up. Most notably, there's a lot a lot going around. This is kind of where there's a lot of things going on in the uh, in the NBA. So we'll get, we'll get right into it. Uh, team of the week. Man, uh, tough pick this week. I had half of the Western Conference could be the team of the week. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of teams that are playing well in the West. The East, not so much. East, a bit, a bit more kind of inconsistent, you could say. Right. Um, I mean, Boston, standard, won three. Cleveland have won uh, four in a row. Uh, Toronto and the Bulls have won two in a row. The Orlando Magic have won three in a row, so they're, they're, they're playing okay. But the West has, you know, you got the Nuggets had a win, uh, a lossless week. The Grizzlies have won six straight. Sacramento, two straight. Golden State, three straight. That's pending right now. They're playing Minnesota as we speak. New Orleans, uh, four straight. So a lot going on, but I've decided to go with New Orleans. Uh, just they were... They were down in the dumps and out of the plane as of a couple of weeks ago. Big injury bug, inconsistent lineups. Zion's still not back, but they they seem to have found a little bit of form. Uh, they, you know, haven't haven't played the the best teams, but you can only play what's in front of you. And their their last their last few wins have been have been very impressive. Uh, they've won four straight. They beat Houston by ten, and they belted the Spurs. Um, which you should do, but the Spurs have been playing pretty well over the last three or four weeks, being consistent, and they belted Charlotte uh, by 19, and then they they belted the Clippers. So based on that Clippers game, Clippers are in form, and they, they beat the crap out of them. Yeah, well, that that being said about uh, San Antonio being consistent, they lost by 43 to Boston today, one of their worst losses in the history of uh, a pop, a pop the, the pop culture, no pun intended, so... Uh, to- mm, yeah, interesting, but yeah, but before that, they were I'm they were joking. kind of yeah. looking. Yeah, no, no, no you're tr- you're right. They've they've sucked the last couple of games, but I'm saying over the course of the month, they've been much more consistent. They had that lull where they were getting blown out by everyone. They still look. Let's be honest, they're still not trying to win by any means. They're not trying to win at all, but they were a bit more consistent with their effort, and it was a club. You know, they stole a few games they shouldn't have. So, but anyway, New Orleans, uh, they 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 move up to seven now. That that Western. That Western Conference is going to be fun to watch um, as we stand right now. So you've got, you know, Dallas have just fell, fell out of the plane. We'll get into them a little bit later. They're in 11 and they're one game behind OKC who are in 10. And OKC are two games behind 
the two and a half games behind fourth in the West, uh, which is the Phoenix Suns. So the Phoenix Suns potentially could lose, you know, they lose three games in a row, they could fall all the way to 10th from fourth. So that bracket from four to 11, even the Jazz, you can include them because they're half a game behind 11 um, in 12th sp- uh, spot. So from four to 12 is within, you know, a four-game stretch, which is which is amazing this late in the season. So there's going to be a lot of movement going on. The Lakers have surged, but I'm excited to see how this plays out with the plane and New Orleans get my tip of the hat this week, bro. Yeah, folks, they're good. You know, look, they're solid. They play hard. You know, even with the injury bug, you still got guys like McCollum, Herbert Jones, you know, Trey Murphy's a good one to watch. You know, they play hard and, and they're they're well coached. They're doing a good job. They're fighting. It's hard. Look, it's hard to win when your best players are out. You know, two of your best three players are out. I, I think McCollum and Ingram sort of have more impact sometimes in the game than Zion just because he's not just consistent playing. So it's really hard to sort of judge that. But it's good to see. It's good to see they're fighting back and, um, you know, and they're battling throughout the playoffs. But they do play a lot of players. And those guys, the more minutes they rack up because of injuries, they're going to get better. So it's good to see. It's a, it's a solid team. Yeah, it's a, definitely a solid team to pick. For sure. Who you got? Folks, I'm just going to go off of uh, today's game. I'm going to go my team of the week is going to be the Charlotte Hornets. Look, they're one of the worst teams in the league. They got very little talent. They got injuries, players that are just sort of, you know, thrown together. Very well coached. um, But just they beat – yeah, they won three out of four, even though they beat Dallas back-to-back. Well, not back-to-back, but two out of – you know, two out of the last three days they beat Dallas. Uh, they beat Indiana, which again, Indiana's not good, but they play hard and they're well coached, so it's good. And you know, look, there there's not a lot to fight for at this end of the end of the year. They're one of the worst teams in the league, yet they beat Dallas. Which look, Dallas has got their problems, and we'll, we'll dive into that. But I think that you know, I got to give those guys recognition. Look, you know, we say Orlando won three in a row. That's true, but Orlando's been battling all year. They've been really good. Like they've been beating like the lower teams consistently and they're decent against the mid and they've beaten some good teams uh, where Charlotte just doesn't have it. And look, they, you know, they got guys like Dennis Smith contributing, you know, you know, Oubre con- contributing, you know, PJ Washington, you know, Nick Richards has been picking it up like, and just got an extension. I saw I got a couple of years. So um, yeah. So that's my team, Charlotte, uh, Charlotte Hornets. And I, yeah. I, I selected them a couple of weeks ago when they won, I think they won five straight at that point, about uh, just just over a month ago in mid February. So they're for a tanking team, they're still competitive, and I agree they're well coached. And like I said back then, I think they're the, they're probably the funnest shit team <laughs> to watch because they are exciting the way they play. They play free flowing. Their commentators are awesome. Um, not sure what they, they overdo it sometimes, but they're for those of you who have league pass, I would um, suggest you log into a Charlotte. Game and, and get the the home home team commentators. They they're they're, uh, they're pretty good. They they get really really into it and yell and scream and it's it's kind of a little bit different from some of the other other schools we have out there. Uh, so teams we have out there schools March Madness. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it makes it makes it interesting for sure. All right, my uh, week of the week. I mean, you probably you surely have the same as me. It's gotta be oh, Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, definitely. Right? I mean, they are they are fucking awful. They look absolutely. Discombobulated, and there's we'll get into a little bit because you know this team better than I do. But 
you know, they're three and eight in the last 11, some horrid losses, but you, you lose to Charlotte twice in the space of a week. I don't care what you're dealing with injury-wise. If you can't readjust after a poor loss against Charlotte to then lead that into another poor loss versus Charlotte, man, um, you, you, you don't deserve to be even in the plane in the West. But since the Kyrie trade, um, this what are they, six and nine with Kyrie on the floor? They're five and 12 in, sorry, yeah, five and twelve total. Um, with since the Kyrie trade, Kyrie's missed a couple of games here or there. They're in the eleventh seed, and they just—I mean, I'm putting this down to Finney Smith was really big for them, and they—they're starting to realize how big he was. He's an all-league defender. He didn't need the ball. He's going to lock in 110 percent of the time defensively. If he doesn't get a touch for 10 straight trips, he's not going to mope. He's going to crash the offensive board from the perimeter. And his three ball was getting better. It was getting very, very respectable. And I think, you know, obviously he's not in the echelon of a Kyrie Irving, but this is a discussion to have around role players sometimes are just as important as bringing in a star because what what Finney Smith did was let Luca continue to be Luca. Like, you're, you're, you're getting all the touches. They had Dinwiddie as a backup who could come in and handle the ball, but... It was Luca, Luca, Luca. Now Luca's going to share the load a little bit with Kyrie. They're both not great defenders, Kyrie and Luca. It is what it is. They're both pretty poor defenders when it when it comes to it. Um, Kyrie can be average when he really wants to be, but he's they're not great defenders. They're your perimeter guys. You don't have a lot of rim protection. Uh, Jason Kidd does like to go small in switching lineups, and it just it's just teams are getting in the paint and just getting whatever the hell they want, and then they'll adjust, and then it's open threes and. They're, they're in some trouble. I mean, I, I, Lucas' comments as well over the last week, we must mention in this, basically saying there's no joy, I don't enjoy this, there's no fun in this, you know, it's very, very frustrating. Well, no shit, it's got to be for everybody. They should be much better than they are. Um, they've still got time to turn it around in the West. As we said, they're in 11 and they still have time to turn this thing around. But, you know, they don't have a lot of time and they just, I don't think they've played together enough to know the nuances that it takes playing with two superstars and, and and losing those role players, like I said, in Finney Smith, don't help the cause, bro. Who you got? You got Dallas as well? Yeah, I got Dallas as well. Look, you gotta beat you gotta beat Charlotte. I mean, come on. I mean, I, like you said, I don't care what you're dealing with. You gotta be you gotta be at least one out of two. <laughs> like you can let one slip, but then don't back it up a couple of nights later and lay an egg. Yeah, as well. I don't even think I, I just I agreed. I agree to disagree. I, I think they should beat them both, but you're right, at least one. And at least at home. And look, they're dealing with some stuff, but you know, it is funny. You watch those guys play, and I, I didn't watch. I didn't watch today yet. Um, but like with those two guys on the floor, we, without analyzing it with the stats and stuff and the and the analytics, it's not like terrible basketball. It's not, you know, it's not Kyrie dribbling out the clock. It's not like that. It's just they're just not winning games. I think when you trade. When you have, when you trade two guys like Dinwiddie and Dorian and Dorian being the more important, but you know Dinwiddie, it's two guys that really contributed in their own way. You know, Dinwiddie handled the ball; he was sort of like a mini Jalen Brunson in the sense that he could score, he could handle the ball. He, you know, you could run him and pick a roll. He could do some things. Dorian was the defender. You know, the doesn't need the ball in his hands, can catch and shoot, all the stuff that you've already said. And I think that when you lose that. And now you've got to figure it out. Now you're like you're you're not as deep. You know you you trade two for one. You are more talented, but you lose defense. 
you know, and which is a big, a big part of things. And and you're you're trying to get those guys to play together, Irving and, and Doncic. I don't think it's I don't think it's disgusting basketball to watch. Like I told you when they made the trade, I thought it was going to be a week, you know, and it's after a week, it's not going to be good. And it just hasn't, they haven't clicked. It hasn't worked. But let's just talk about this week. Um, beat, losing those two teams, losing that team twice, you just you just can't do that. You, you know, I understand that you can't beat really good teams without, you know, with a with team that they have. And they couldn't beat really good teams with the team they had before the trade. But you got to be able to pumble teams below you. You know, they're much below you. And they haven't been able to do that. They haven't found consistency. Um, and they're just sort of, yeah, they're just sort of spiraling. So, yeah, they're my team of the week as well. And, and just goes to show you that, that, that they made a home run play, high risk, high reward trade, and it hasn't, hasn't worked out. You know, they they were better with the squad that knew, that, that squad at least played with each other for a couple of years and, and knew the ins and outs of each other and, you bring in Kyrie, try to hit that home run, which you probably, pro- let's be honest, they probably had to do pro. You know, Luka Doncic just comments around, he's, he's coming to free agency soon, he wants stars, the media was starting to get on him, the fan base, like, come on, Cuban, bring some stars. So you had to, to make that trade. You, you can't fault it. In hindsight, do they still probably make the trade? I think so, but they need to figure it out. So hopefully Dallas can get it right. I still I still think they can get it right enough to get a play in. I mean, I just don't. I mean, OKC are playing some pretty good basketball. They're inconsistent, but they're they're okay. The Lakers, um, I'm not not sold on, but I still think they they probably get a plane at this point. Who who gets knocked out? I think it's probably at OKC, the Lakers, and Dallas, in my opinion. So we'll watch that space. All right, uh, Portland firing up the tank pro real quick. So Dame apparently is going to be shut down in the in the coming weeks. They've fallen to thirteenth. They're now five and a half away from the plane. So. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They need to basically win ten straight and hope one of those teams really bombs to get in there. So I think they're they're done. Smart move. Uh, most teams do this usually earlier. Portland was still kind of in the mix for a play-in, um, but they're they're shutting him down. And this is this is perfectly normal for all the fans out there. This sometimes happens with twenty or thirty games left. You'll shut down your superstar, protect them for the next season, and, and see what you got on the development ranks, pro. Right? Yeah, I mean they're in shambles right now. They're just continuing to be in that mode of, look, you've got a superstar on your team and you can get a laundry list full of things. One of the biggest trades in NBA history as far as what you can get back um, for Dame. And they, they, they refuse to do it because they obviously want to keep it together. But look, they don't really they don't really have a lot. And he's got a calf thing. You don't want to wear him out for what? What are you going to wear him out for? You're going to wear him out to get to, what, 12? You know, like it's almost impossible for them to make any any sort of headway with this thing. You're four games back with what, like uh, 60, 70. So what's that? Nine to go. Together. So they're obviously eliminated from things. So what are you going to do? It you know, and yeah, they're tanking, but you know, they're they're like they're tanking, but they're four. I mean, what have you? You know, I don't think they could tank and try to get to the first pick. Obviously, they can't do that. But there's not a lot to play for right now, in my opinion. You got to trade the guy. You know, you got to trade him. Stop the nonsense. He is probably the most de- like dedicated to his city player that's playing right now. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The guy is a warrior with that. But 
at the end of the day, as a team, forget about him for a second. Like, yeah, he wants to win. I'm sure in the back of his head, he wants to go to a team where it's a little easier, you know, uh, not a lot easier. He probably doesn't want to go with five, you know, all first team NBA guys to play on one team, but he wants it to a little, a little bit easier. A guy in his prime battling for the 12 seed probably isn't what he's probably thinking about. And as a team, you've got all these players around him. You can get I mean, you can get way more than, not way, but you get a lot more than what Utah, you know, Utah and Minnesota traded for. Any of these trades in the last three or four years, Harden, Chris Paul, you know, all um, Paul George trade with Oklahoma City and LA Clippers. Like, you can get a laundry list of picks, players, whatever you want, and sort of just try to recycle this thing. Um, there's, t- there's a little bit of talk with the Billups thing. Is he safe? Is he not safe? Um, it's interesting. Uh, there's really not a lot to play for at this point. Like you said, they're going to tank, you know, just to at least get probably a, you know, a couple more ping pong balls here and there. But I think mostly you, you can't just, you can't run him ragged. You can't run, you know, Dame ragged just to get to the 12 seat. So I, I agree with the move. I think you, I think you got to shut him down and just, just see what 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 you're gonna do for the summer, but I think they really gotta strongly consider in trading this guy. Yeah, they're they I mean, what's their ceil- What's their ceiling even with a healthy roster next season? Maybe scratching scratching a six seed, I, which I doubt. Probably a plane anyway. So you got to reevaluate and say it's time to move on. It seems like Dame is pretty stubborn, and he's not gonna ask for it. They're gonna have to they're gonna have to push him out the door, and they can they can they can rebuild around Simons mm-hmm. and. Get some some picks next season, the season after. But uh, I, I agree with that, pro. They're, they're going nowhere fast. Um, it's nice to have a star player like that, but you know, at some point you got to rebuild for the future. And I don't, I don't think Dame at this point is going to get him to the promised land. They're probably going to put together a five or ten year plan and, and move it on. All right, LeBron. I had LeBron back soon when I wrote this last night, and he played today. And then I'm not joking about this. I, I wrote, "Does it change the surging Lakers and the way they're playing?" Because we've mentioned, we've both mentioned now, I'm going to prefix, you know, say that I'm not saying LeBron hurts them, but it was noticeably different that they became a bit more consistent and it was a free-flowing, we don't need to look for LeBron and make sure that he's running our shit type offense. And they were definitely a bit better defensively. Now, AD was healthy as well, which helps, but... As of today, they, his first game back, uh, they lose. They lose to the Bulls. So um, it's pretty interesting. But look, he, he should help him. But I don't know. It just doesn't fit with LeBron. When, when he wasn't on the floor, the, the ball was whipping around a little bit more. I felt like AD was much more of a focus for them to get him the ball and get him his touches and play off him. When LeBron's in the lineup, it takes touches away from AD and – they need to go to LeBron now. LeBron was chasing the scoring record. Every man and his dog knew that. So there was a little bit of disparity in his play there, especially defensively. But look, if he comes fully fully fit and firing around, you know, his, his, his kind of defensive assignments and, and offensively being the second, third option at times, that they'll be okay. But um, just something clunky with him in the lineup, bro. Folks, you know, it reminds me a little bit. And look, LeBron's a great player. Don't, don't you know, not get it twisted. He is a great player, but he plays a certain style that at his age now, and you can't, you, you got to move the ball. The ball's got to move. And if it sticks, you better be a hell of a shot maker and a hell of a, 
you know, you, you got to get stuff done. He gets stuff done in his own way, but it's not, sometimes it's not pretty. Like his best basketball that he ever played, ever played was at the Miami Heat. That ball moved like he just had a cut. You know, he had just, you know, things, things, you know, his passing was great. His defense was great. Now it's just sort of, it sticks. It reminds me of with Carmelo Anthony when he played for the Knicks in Lynn Sanity, right? People want to know why, like, Linsanity worked and, and, and why it happened. Well, they, people don't, don't maybe forget, like, you had Carmelo Anthony hurt. So, like, now instead of having an ISO guy, ISO guy, ISO guy where four guys are watching one guy sort of handle the ball and shoot and all that, you had Jeremy Lin. Then you had, you know, you had, first of all, you had Lin and Tyson Chandler in pick and roll, right? So, you know, in, in D and Tony's system. You, so, roll him in the rim, roll him in the rim, roll him in the rim all day. Then you had Landry Fields and Novak that can make shots. You had Shumpert and guys like Shumpert, J.R. Smith. So, the, like, the floor got spaced. There was more ball movement. Guys just either, you know, dribble kick for a shot, lob to Tyson Chandler. Lynn was just ridiculous and he could score, but he didn't hold the ball like that. The ball moved. So with the Lakers, it's the same thing. When you have, you know, like when you have a lineup with like Austin Reeves and, you know, you know, you had instead of LeBron, you have like Reeves who's going to pick and roll score, can make shots. You know, you had Schroeder and Russell and, and guys like that. The ball moves more and there's a little more energy. And yeah, you, yeah it sticks a little bit with Davis, but I think with LeBron, it just the ball just sticks more. And that's why when they won the championship and they had Rondo where like it took LeBron off the ball and all he had to do was run run the floor and just get to his spots and Rondo found him. That's I think that's when they play their best basketball when he gets off the ball. I mean, on the ball, great. He's a great passer, great playmaker at, at times, but it can't be like 36 minutes a night of it. And I think when he gets off the ball and the ball just moves – He's a better better deal, but when he gets back in the lineup, now like it sort of chokes out some of the players that have been playing well because now they're just standing around watching, you know, watching him try to you know make home run plays, and it's just tough. And like getting Jared Vanderbilt and getting guys like that that just sort of give more energy and you know the, again don't need the ball in their hands. It it, it 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 I think proves to be a little bit more in the winning side. And you're right. It does impact him in a negative way when he just hold not just him in the lineup, but him in the lineup holding the ball constantly. I think it just puts them in a tough spot. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch to see how they go. Other notable, KD's supposedly supposed to be back on Wednesday, so we'll watch that space as well. That's huge for the Suns and making that obviously a somewhat a home run trade for them as well. We're giving up a lot of their defense um, to get KD in that lineup, and we've spoken about it at length, or at least I have. Is they. They need to play together and, and, and get some continuity together on, on lineups and whatnot with KD in there. So that'll be interesting to watch. Ime Udoka has popped up as a name for the Houston Rockets and Toronto Raptors. Um, not vacancies yet, pro, but <laughs> they both have employed coaches as of now. But uh, there's rumors that your boy Nick Nurse is taking him himself and his hat elsewhere. He's going to leave. And the Rockets, obviously, I think there's been a lot of turmoil there every every. Man and his dog can see that they're in trouble coaching-wise and they're going to need a new voice in that locker room with that young group. Um, what do you think? you think he take, even considers any of these two jobs and will he, will he take that roulette job of the Houston Rockets? I don't know. It's a good question, Bogues. Like, you know, everyone's a little delusional in this thing where they think they're more valuable and maybe they're above things, especially going to the finals. You know, he, he's had success 
even though he obviously took a big hit with what happened off the court in Boston. I mean, look, if that Rockets job does open up, you've got a ton of young talent. I call it an AU team because that's what it is. And they've got all these guys that are just a little too comfortable on the court and a little bit too, like, lackadaisical, a little bit too just, like, you know, playing cool. I think that if you're going to take that job, he sort of cleaned up the Celtics. Because remember, the Celtics before trade deadline last year, I don't think anyone had them even getting close to the finals. And, I, I you know, they were struggling. Everything was running, you know, running ragged, to be honest with you. And he sort of cleaned it up in the second half of the year. And if you're going to have what's happening there now, I think with Adoka could clean some of that up. You know, I, I think that, I don't know, it's tough. You know, it's a tough job. It, it, and, and it's nothing to do with Steven Silas not doing it because he's one of the smartest coaches in the league. But it's just tough when you have that many young players and not a lot of veteran presence. I think that if I'm a doker, I'm asking those questions. If I do get interviewed for the job and it opens up, like, what are you doing with this roster? Like, what are we going to do? It, you know, what are we going to do with veterans? What are we going to do with more culture type players rather than just having all these young players that are just going to be really tough to deal with collectively? And that that's going to be tough. I would think Udoka would take the job. I think he would take the job. With who? With Houston. Houston? Yeah, with Houston, I think he would take it. Because again, they're they're in it to win it with the with the French kid, and I think that like <laughs> I'd probably wait till the lottery balls are dropped, you know, to be honest, and see where they're at with that. <laughs> Play with a yeah, chess. but like, who wouldn't want to coach that kid, right? So, but then again, it's another young guy, and what are you going to do there either? Oh, you got to move off some of those. If you're Houston, you get Victor. You got to move off some of those knucklehead young guys. You just have to. I mean, Kevin Porter, like he, you, you don't want. Victor coming into that kind of locker room, you, you're gonna have to bring in a couple of vets and, and get rid of some of those young guys for some some star players. That's what I would do. You can't have this whole dream that you know these fantasy GMs out there like put together a young team and build them for three or four years. It doesn't work. <laughs> they can they're competing with each other in a locker room for, for, for touches and points and minutes and all that kind of shit. And I'm the man on this team. I'm the max guy. So yeah, to your point, I think if they do that, they they definitely clear out that locker room and bring in some veteran presence. Yeah, and. Look, everyone wants to compare them a little bit to what Oklahoma City had back when they had Durant and those guys. You can't compare it. You can't compare for a couple of reasons. A, that roster was built much better in Oklahoma City than it ever would be in Houston. Like they had like Nick Collison. They had veterans leadership. You know, you had a coach, you know, in place that's been there for a bit. You had all this stuff going and those players are way better than what they've got in Houston. You know, look, they've got their roster. Look, they've got good young players. I wouldn't say they have, like, great, great, great young players. I think Jalen Green is a talent that has to be sort of cultivated. Kevin Porter Jr. puts up numbers, but I'm not a huge fan. Um, Jabari Smith has been a little underwhelming. And I think Sangoon um, is a guy that is sort of a little underrated, to be honest with you. He's really put up really good numbers, 14 and 8, and he's been the sort of the the, the, the tough guy and, and just sort of plays well, plays the game right. And then you've got the, the second unit. There's not a lot there. You know, there's really not a lot there, especially with their headliners. If you get – but then again, 
you know, I don't know. Like I've heard the adage, you need whores in a, to run a whorehouse, right? Like, you know, what are you going to do? You got talent, you know, you know, keep it, you know, keep it together and, you know, and develop it. And who cares? Like you're not winning games. But I just think that like you throw an other young player in there and I I think it gets the frustration level will go through the roof. You know, like, what are you doing? I think from where they are right now, I wouldn't I agree with you. I'm probably moving Kevin Porter Jr. I'm probably, you know, I'm look you you either got to bring Jabari Smith off the bench. You know, because I think with Victor's physical, I don't think. You can't obviously play him at five. You need a strong Alex Sangoon to sort of like battle underneath. Maybe you bring Jabari Smith off the bench and you give him, you know, you give him 28, you know, to try to tr- find him 25 minutes a night, 28 minutes a night. I really like Kenya Martin Jr. I think like, I, 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 yeah, I think he's been a really good role player for them. So Bogues, I don't know if I'm, if I'm Udoka, I mean, look, that Raptors job probably has more talent to win. Um, but, the idea that you could coach Victor, you know, cause you don't know what Victor's going to be. You know, he's, a, he obviously is a, is a big time talent, but like, why wouldn't you want to coach a guy like that? You know, why wouldn't you want to coach a guy like that? So I would think that after, the, yeah, after the lottery yeah. pick, after the lottery balls, I think Udoka, if, if they're not number one, then Udoka will get the rap, will go for the Raptors. If those two jobs are the jobs that he's going to sort of try to pick, you know, pick from. Will be good to watch. Interesting. All right. Uh, rest in peace to Willis Reed, by the way, Pro. Uh, uh, really, really, you know, superstar player of his era. 650 games, 18, you know, just under 19 points, just under 13 rebounds. Uh, passed away last week at the age of 80. Um, he's infamous for getting severely hurt in uh, in a final series against the – who was that against, Pro? Let me see. Um, back in the – where was, was that? Lakers? Mm. In the 60s. 1970 NBA 70. Finals. Yes, it was the it was the Lakers. Yes, mm-hmm. so injured late in Game Five, missed Game Six, and then no one knew whether he'd play in Game Seven. Not even his teammates, according to them. Uh, he ran out, and the whole crowd erupted. There's famous footage online. It was an awesome atmosphere. Um, that's probably the the moment everyone remembers. Willis Reed for comes out and has 38 points, um, which was you know huge, huge in that win. So. Uh, rest in peace to him and condolences to his family, another NBA legend. Uh, has passed away, pro. We're all getting old, so um, that's, how, that's how life goes. All right, uh, March Madness. I haven't really followed this too much, pro. I don't know if you have, but we're down to the final four. So uh, San Diego State is playing FAU. That's Florida Atlantic for those playing at home. Um, on the other, the other wing of the final four, you've got Miami, University of Miami versus UConn now. I always just go for the lower seeds in these circumstances. So I'm trying to, I hope FAU wins it just because they're, I wouldn't say a nothing nobody school, but they are kind of a nothing nobody school that no one really pays much attention to. And and they're right there playing against the uh, the big dogs. So um, that's kind of where it's at right now. I've, I've caught a couple of games, just a couple of minutes, but I haven't sat down and watched ProView. I watched Gonzaga play a couple of times and that's about it. Um, I'm not a college guy, you know, as far as liking to watch it, I think it's been almost unwatchable for the last few years. Um, it's been down, going downhill probably for the last decade or so. But in the last few years, it's been really, really bad. And for me, it's just tough. Um, you know, I, I I go with Fox's assessment of it. It's tough. No shot making, basketball IQ, all-time low. 
Um, you got the transfer portal stuff, so it makes these teams. That's why, like, all the, the teams that are left, I mean, look what you have left in the tournament. No offense to anyone else, but Creighton, you know, Florida Atlantic. It's, and it's great to see teams win. Don't get me wrong. Like, the underdog win. Don't get me wrong at all. But, like, UConn. You know, UConn's a scrappy team. They're they're decent. You got Creighton. You've got Florida Atlantic. You got San Diego State. You had, you know, Princeton was in the Sweet 16, which is great to see. But, like, I think with the the rosters just keep on flipping every year with the transfer stuff, it just makes it really vol- you know, volatile for sure. Um, so I watched Gonzaga because I watched him a couple of times throughout the year. Uh, just, you know, game was on, whatever. Uh, the kid drew Timmy was, you know, one of the best players in college basketball, tough kid, strong, really knows how to play. But, um, yeah, those are the only couple of games I watched. I didn't watch anything today. I've heard there was a couple of really close games and exciting games and things. And it's March Madness as a tournament. It's great. You know, don't get me wrong, but it just, it's, it's hard. It's hard to watch to me. Not that the NBA's not that the NBA's some you know some perfect game either, but like I just think the shot making, the talent level, um, I think the coaches are way better. I mean, I think half the coaches in college basketball will coach the '92 Dream Team to a bronze medal. To be honest with you, I think they're you know I, I'm not a big fan of college coaches these days. There are a few really good ones, but a lot of them are just empty suits. To be honest with you. Yeah, and that, De'Aaron Fox made those comments a couple of days ago. He was asked about March Madness and was pretty cynical about the whole thing and said, look, I don't watch it. I don't enjoy it. I think the refereeing is bad. I don't think the talent's as, as good as you know as, as the NBA and as it once was. And, you know, some people like college for its purity. Uh, that's kind of gone now, pro, with, with the NIL stuff and players getting paid and, and the, the portal, you know, this transfer portal, players moving teams like they're free agents in the NBA. It's taken away some of that kind of pureness of what amateur athletics was meant to be and that went in that tricky tricky path the NCAA of trying to keep an amateur but it clearly wasn't because they're making billions so it's like is it really amateur you're making all the money the kids aren't so the kids had to get paid and, and receive benefits but yeah look the NBA's the pinnacle of of athleticism of skill of smarts and and coaching right like they you know even if you're a bad coach and you manage to get an NBA job, you're going to get infinitely better with the, with the tools and resources you have, with analytics. If you actually work hard, you could come in as the dumbest coach in the world. But if you have a work ethic and, and are willing to listen, the environment you're in is world-class. Technology, computers, analytics, stats, on-court stuff, walkthroughs, you know, chopping it up on planes and buses and in someone's ear about what do you think about this coverage? Like it's endless. You can you can improve yourself till the cows come home. So I, I somewhat agree. I haven't really followed. I followed college only for a year or two after I left like every college kid does because you you have a bond with those teammates that stayed over or a coach and, and that was me. And then the coach I had got fired a couple of seasons later and then I kind of just lost lost kind of that appeal to continue to follow I support my school when I can if you're in a big football game or mm. a basketball game I'll definitely put out some posts and try to try to watch it but I'm not I'm not one of those guys that's watching it every single game and it just doesn't interest me that much and I guess having two young kids as well doesn't help the cause pro when you, when you get a moment to yourself you're kind of doing other oh, things without, but yeah. uh, it was a great it was a great time and college has its has its need but it definitely has changed over over the course of our time pro. All right, let's move on to our Aussies of the week. Uh, Dabble is the sponsor of the Aussies of the week. So we appreciate Dabble support, the social betting experience. We can follow anyone from your best mate or me, Andrew Bogart, or one word if you want to give me a follow. 
Uh, trying to get some right for you. I've missed a few the last couple of weeks, three out of four and four out of five, which is frustrating in some multi-bets, but that's okay. Give me a follow, copy bets, jump into the banter channel if you want to have a bit of a back and forth with some like-minded people in whatever your passion is in betting. Download the app at the, Dabble, at the Apple Store, Dabble or One Word, Dabble Socially. Gamble responsibly is the most important thing you have to do when you gamble. Always do it responsibly. Aussie Watch, here we go. Ben Simmons out for this. What is it now? The season pro nerve impingement is the rumor. Um, they're saying that he's probably going to be out for the rest of the season. So hopefully he gets that back right. So we can cross him out of this Aussie of the week and stop researching his stats because I was making sure pro that I didn't do a Josh Green again. I'm going and checking Ben Simmons' stats and they're empty and I'm like, am I missing this again? Like I'm Josh Green. So I haven't made that mistake again. Dyson Daniels, he's been struggling pro since the uh, the comeback, at least numbers-wise. He, he brings a lot more than you see on paper. He's, he's probably their be- one of their best perimeter defenders for, for a young guy. Uh, they've got a few other pieces, but for, he's way ahead of the curve as far as um, defense for being that young. Usually rookies take for you know two, three, four, five years, but he's he was one point, two point three rebounds, one point six assists, and a steal a night. Delhi, five, two, and two in nineteen minutes with Fox out the other night. So got a little bit of minutes there, but otherwise it was a, another garbage minutes week for him where he didn't play a lot. Patty has not played since March 9th. He finally got back into the game today. Four points to assist in some garbage time. So good to see him out there. Jock had a pretty productive week. Jock Landale, 7.6 points, 4.3 rebounds, 1.6 assists. Josh Giddy, uh, who will get the Aussie of the week, another big week for him, 18.7 points, 9.2 rebounds, 6.25 assists. So this will be his 11th Aussie of the week. He's had that, he's had that trophy wrapped up about six weeks ago. Matisse Thibel, six points, four rebounds, one assist per game with 1.25 steals. So um, usual numbers for him. Um, Joe Ingles, 7.3 points, one rebound, three assists, six for 12 from three. So shooting the ball a little bit better, but uh, not as productive at the offensive end, usually – we like to see Joey with the four to five assist mark when he's playing his best basketball. Jack White still in the G League. Josh Green, a down week from where he was last week. Seven points, 7.25 points, 2.5 rebounds, one assist and one steal. Xavier Cooks over there in Washington. Not a lot of minutes, a little bit of garbage time today and, and the other night, but nothing to note. So that is our Aussies this week, pro. NBL, Australia. Free agency is about three or four days away into this week. It opens up. So there's a lot to... Uh, a lot going on. There's a big marquee names available. Will McDowell-White, who the Sydney Kings faced against New Zealand. He's a, he's a probably the, one of the big marquee names. Keanu Rapinder's up there. So two very big names uh, that are out there that, you know, we're, talk, we're talking to, everyone's talking to. Um, I think every every team in the league's talking to those guys to see what they're, what they're thinking. Uh, whether we go that route, we don't know yet. We're still you know, trying to retool our roster um, and find out exactly who's coming back. We have, the Kings have retooled to an extent. Um, Galloway, Glover, both re-signed. Big, big re-signings for us. They were part of our bench. And Kawat Noy, we've picked up his team option. A little bit of a big number than it was last season, but that's his reward for being um, a, a championship winner. So that's the Kings. One thing of one thing to note for all the fans out there, and, and Pro, you, you might like this. Um, so, you know, Australia has marquee rules. So if you bring back a, a big note Australian, there's a thing called a marquee rule where, you know, say you bring back Joe Ingles next season, you can pay him whatever you want, only 250 or 260,000 counts on your cap. So you still got to pay, obviously, the rest in cash. So if you pay him a million a year, you're still paying him a million a year, but you don't get penalized for it, only 260 or 250 of that. So 
Um, there's also an Indigenous marquee rule. Um, you can have an Indigenous guy on your roster that doesn't hit your cap at all and an Asian player exemption. So an Asian, if you have an Asian player on your roster in the NBL Pro, it doesn't count towards your cap. So what Jap- the Japanese league is, is soaring. They're doing very, very well, both from a financial standpoint, competitive standpoint. They love signing Australians. A lot of Nick Kay, most notably, I think uh, Angus Brandt was over there, former Perth Wildcats. Uh, they'll overpay for guys to go over to their league. They love Australians. They're, you know, no drama. They'll play hard, blah, 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 good team people. And they price out, you know, like a Nick Kay's making much more money over there than he can make in Australia. What I'm hearing now and what the, the scuttlebutt around the league is that the Japanese league, the NBL has an Asian marquee rule. Guess what the Japanese league is going to do, Pro? Australian rule. Yeah, they're going to have an Australian marquee rule. So they're going to have uh, basically an exemption for an Australian player that doesn't count on your cap, so probably one a team. And that's a concern for the league. Um, as, a team, as an owner, I know uh, the league ownership is worried about it and how do we mitigate this because – I don't know how many teams there are in the B League, Japanese B League. I think it's core. I should probably should have looked it up. But let's say there's 10 teams. That's 10 of your best players out of your league that could potentially go over there for probably two to three X what they're making as a max player in the NBL. So just something to note for fans out there. Watch that space to see what happens with this. If we start seeing more players floating over to Japan, that would be a reason. So it could could hurt a little bit, Pro. Look, Japan's probably the one of the more soaring leagues as far as, you know, popularity, money they put in, um, getting, acquiring more talent year in and year out. Uh, Kyle Collinsworth that, you know, I'm not sure if you played, you played with Kyle in Dallas, but yep, yeah. Was so yep. Kyle, you know, played in the D league about a year after a year and a half after, you know, getting released by the NBA the last time. And then he finally went over to Japan, making really good money, really likes the league. Um, thinks they're really organized. Um, a little bit better playing conditions than, than China. So, yeah, I mean, they're putting money behind it. You get paid. Like, that's the biggest thing. Like, the league's okay. Obviously, it's not EuroLeague or anything like that, but you get paid on time. No one ever not gets paid. They get paid. They're organized. You know, coaching isn't as great as the EuroLeague or in Australia or anything like that. But, look, you got, I mean, you got really good money and you got financial stability with people getting paid on time. And I think that's a big part of it. Not, not that that's a problem in Australia or some of these other places, but EuroLeague, it's really a big problem. Asia, not a, not a big problem. Australia, not a big problem from what I've heard. So, yeah, I, I could see why that's a, a worry, especially if they're going to put that Australian rule in there where, you know, I mean, there's a lot more talent to be poached from Australia than there is, you know, Japan because you get the Asian rule that that goes for China you know you know I'm sure that's the other Asian countries like that so I mean Japan, yes of course yeah, yes so I mean you're not really taking a lot from Tip them tap. yeah you're not taking a lot from them they're taking a lot more from <laughs> Australia so I'd be worried for sure if I'm an Australian uh, Australian teams and fans yeah. for sure it'll be interesting to see what the league does uh, to try and mitigate that rule and just quickly looked it up man the, the Japanese first B League first division they play 60 regular season mm-hmm. games in a schedule that consists of 36 games against teams within their own conference and 24 from the other conference um, which is it's very very interesting there's 24 total teams mm-hmm. in the first division so that's a lot of teams that's 24 players in essentially people that 24 of your best stars, so your two best players from two and a half best players from every NBL team could potentially go over there. So it's it is a little bit scary. We'll see how that goes. All right, stats useful or useless, pro? 
Brandon Ingram, averaging 30 points per in his last five games. Also, his last two games, and this is what I want to note, 23 assists and one turnover pro. Um, I'll give a little spiel before I give you an opportunity to answer whether this is useful or useless. It is a small sample size, but the reason why I bring in that 23 assist to one turnover, this was the next step of Brandon Ingram's game. When I was with him in the Lakers, he was very good on getting on the rim, but it seemed like the game was he was it was going too fast for him at that point in his career to know, hey, the right pass is here. The right pass is there. You know, he'd have he'd have games where he'd have, you know, 20 points, six assists and seven turnovers, those kind of games. And He's starting to figure shit out. His body, his wingspan, his athleticism. That's why I wanted to put this stat in there. I know it's only two games, a 23 assists to one, one turnover for a guy that I believe that that wasn't his skill set early in his career. It just shows his growth, bro. But useful or useless all up? Useless on the last two um, in the scoring because he is a big-time scorer in my opinion. But uh, the five assists a game – and again, I don't, I don't equate uh, basketball IQ with assist numbers, but – you know, as far as what he's done over his career, getting better at that. And I think, I mean, if you look at his stats going throughout the league, you know, from a rookie on to now, you know, up to five, you know, in the five range where he started at the two range, went up to three, four, five, six. He's really developing as a player for sure. I never really take things on a two game basis unless they're ridiculous numbers. Now, 23 assists, nothing to, you know, not, it, it's a, uh, it's a pretty good honor, don't get me wrong. To one turnover. But, but yeah. it's all in one turnover, right. But it's two games, what have you. But I do say useless because it's only two. But, I mean, his game is definitely getting more well, you know, well, like way more well-rounded for sure. So what do you think, folks? Yeah, I just think it's the the round, you know, like you said, his growth as a basketball he. You know, I know I know some people that work with him and, and they can't speak more highly of the fact that he loves basketball. You never see him doing the celebrity shit and trying to be out there. He just loves playing basketball and, and he wants to better himself. I know he's investing in his own facility and doing different things. And um, I just love to see growth in players because this wasn't a strength of his early in his career and I think he knew that. And the game now slowed down for him and he's at a point where – you know, they're talking about building around Zion, but shit, this is a guy you can legitimately build around for the next five to ten years. He's young um, and he's he hasn't hit his ceiling yet. So um, I think it's useful as far as that that growth. Small sample size would be the useless part of it, but overall I'm going to give it a useful pro. All right, Walker Kessler, a guy in Utah blocking everything, right? 31 points, 11 rebounds, 2 assists, 14 from 16 from the field. He's the first rookie ever to reach those numbers on 85 percent plus field goal percentage since Shaquille O'Neal Pro. Useful, useless? Hmm. I mean, useless because it's one game. Um, but just like the Ingram thing, um, I think Walker Kessler is going to be a dominating defensive player, you know, for a decade if he stays healthy, knock on wood. Um, he, he's, he, he tests out of the, off the charts in college, getting into the league, it took him very sh- short period of time to get into the lineup and contribute on a regular basis. Not the score that this 31 points gave him. I'd like to see the film. I'm sure it's a lot, you know, what on lobs and out of the dunker Thanks, spot, running the floor yeah. and stuff like that. The guy is an uncanny defender. I mean, he's got great defensive feel. One of the best shot blockers that I've ever seen. I think he's going to be a Rudy type player with way more offense and um, 
I, I think he's going to be really good. But a one game, I, I say it's, you know, you know me, I'm not a big fan of first first player to do this since whatever. But I do think he's a hell of a player. And those stats definitely are, you know, mind-boggling. But just because it's – I'll stay consistent with my short period of time deal. But it's a hell of – those are a hell of a stat. And those are ridiculous stats. What do you think? Yeah, one game useless, but just the fact that Shaq's name's in there and it's just 85% is probably the kicker in this. I'm sure other people have hit these numbers as rookies. But it, it shouldn't undervalue the, the season that he's having as kind of unknown commodity coming out of the draft and whatnot. So um, good on Walker. He's having a great year and he's going to be a dominant force there. I think that's the main reason why they moved on moved off Rudy as well. They thought we've got someone who's a poor man's version of Rudy right now. But... We think he can get to you, to Rudy's point, if not better, down the line. So good on the Utah Jazz. All right, the only players to ever make 180-plus three-pointers as a rookie. Donovan Mitchell, Dame Lillard, and Keegan Murray. Useful or useless? Useful. Useful. I mean, that's, I mean, over a course of a season, 180-plus threes. Now, you know, obviously with the three-point numbers being, you know, saturated for sure as the, you know, as we just get more and more into this analytical age, but that's a huge accomplishment as a rookie to be able to do that. And, you know, look, there's a lot of rookies that crack, you know, hard to crack lineups. You know, you got lottery picks that sometimes don't crack lineups. This guy has cracked a lineup on a playoff team and made 183s as a rookie. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty good. That's pretty good stuff. I would say, I, I would say useful. Yeah, I would go useful as well. It's pretty impressive for a rookie to, to be shooting those kind of numbers. So, um, yeah, really, really good season for them and all the Kings in general. And we've got a, a really good player um, to build long-term with. All right, now I love – I'll go useful on that stat, by the way. I love a good conspiracy theory pro, as mm-hmm. we know. Um, and this one just got sent to me before we went to air. It It, it is a stat regarding free throw disparity. Who do you think leads the league in free throw disparity, meaning they've got – they always have more free throws than the other team. Disparity for those wondering is Team X has 20 free throws, Team Y has 15. That's a five disparity. In every game, that Team X seems to have a better disparity than the other team. Who do you think is number one in the league? Mm, I would say Clippers, but they got too many injuries and those guys don't play enough. Um, Milwaukee, maybe? No. No? It is the Los Angeles Lakers. Mm-hmm. Pro, and it's always, always a conspiracy around the Lakers because we know the league love to kind of give them a little nudge to make sure they're in there for TV and make sure they're in the playoffs or scratching the surface. But Pro, the numbers around the disparity are, are, are what's more alarming. All right. They're number one in the league in, in, in free throw disparity at 387 disparity. Okay. Number two is the Miami Heat at 184. Hmm. So they're they're two two x more than anyone in the league in free throw disparity every single night, and then tonight's game. I decided to look up the stats after I saw this stat. That stat was up until two or three games ago. So, so I looked at today's stats, and they they shot twenty eight free throws, and the Chicago Bulls shot thirteen pro. But uh, interesting, interesting for those conspiracy theorists out there. There seems to be. Some people thinking that Adam Silver is doing anything he can to make sure that the Lakers are in that plane slash playoff series to make sure the glorious purple and gold are getting those TV ratings pro. But useful or useless? I think it's pretty useful, man. I mean, two times the the second place team. 
It's ridiculous. I, I didn't even notice it. Bogues. That's ridiculous. Yeah, Bogues, I didn't even notice it. Like, I ne- like that's never coming across my desk. I'm sure I, I know they do get calls. But here's the thing, too, Bogues. LeBron was out for a while. Anthony Davis, of course, was out for a while. So it's not like those guys, they're just feeding those guys all day. They're going to the basket and they're going and getting the line. Like, exactly. Yeah, like, that's weird. Like, walk, you know, that, like, guys like, you know, I mean, guys like Dennis Schroeder and, you know, guys, you know, th- that team, like, th- everybody else. Austin, Austin Reeves. Reeves yeah. You know, and, the, you know, Walker, you know, Lonnie Walker and guys like that are getting calls like that. That's pretty, that's pretty useful stuff when it's two times. I, w- I would definitely say useful for sure. Um, before we go, Bogues, before we go into the other stuff, did we cover enough of the, do, uh, were we going to talk about Dallas again or are we all done with Dallas? You know, because I remember you said we we're gonna go into it more. I, at least you know, you said it earlier. I just want to make sure, just in case we we didn't miss anything on Dallas at all. Talking about them, uh, if you, if you got something more, go for it. But yeah, I think we. I, I was I got my spiel out about them. If you feel like you want to hit him again on the head, go no, for it. No, I just that whole that whole Luca thing at the end being not having fun. Like I know everybody automatically just put the whole the whole Kyrie thing in, in, into effect, which. I don't know. Like, do you think? I mean, obviously, it's easy to say, yeah, he doesn't like playing with Kyrie. You could say that, right? I haven't heard anything. I don't have any intel on that. But I mean, I would say that like, I wouldn't jump the gun on just that. I would just say that, you know, probably hates losing and, and you know, probably the Kyrie thing a little bit. But, you know, I don't know. It's weird. I, it's interesting what they're going to do going forward, you know, and, and how much that Jalen Brunson deal affected this whole season, you know, could sign him for 58 million or in the, you know, mid to high fifties. And now they're into this snowball effect of trading for Kyrie and dealing with this. And then Kyrie, just that word salad after almost every game. And then the, the FaceTime lives or the, you know, the Instagram lives just talking about this stuff. And, you know, it's a, it's a weird deal in Dallas for sure. And they're going to pay Kyrie potentially, right? They're going to give that money then to Kyrie. They could have, I mean, given to Brunson essentially, right? Like, it, I'm not saying they will, but he's a free, yeah, he's a free dude, agent. You have a borderline all star player that you can get for $58 million, right? And, and this goes to for everybody that's listening and, and, and follows the NBA and tries to be like a GM going to like the trade checker every day and, this, you know, trying to play like, you know, trying to play like, chair gm right from their house like when all these guys are saying oh you got to make this deal today you got to make this deal today you know we can't sign brunson because then we can't trade him or this player this player there's always trades to be made so like if you don't if you have a couple of deals so say like i don't know you you're trying to get like tyrese maxi from philly right and you and you don't want to sign brunson because you might want to put him in that trade all right, well, the maxi deal, A, could be here six months from now or three months from now whenever you, uh, he's tra- you know Brunson becomes tradable after the extension. Also, there are other trades that you can make a year from now or another season from now where you sign the asset. You could either keep the asset or trade them, but everybody thinks you got to make trades yesterday. And I think that, that you know, Dallas tried to outsmart themselves a little bit with that for sure. Like, But like – even deals that you have that's coming across your desk, like, oh, we get this deal, we get this deal, we could throw them in this deal. But, like, why not just sign the asset? Because just in case these deals go away 
at the last second, you have this guy going forward. Imagine having a guy that's worth, okay, he's getting like 25 million and people probably say it's a little steep. I even said that, you know, last summer, you know, when they signed him or that number. So like, even if you think he's not worth that, imagine having him for like 15 million. And now what you can do going forward, you're not forced to make these deals. Your Western Conference, and that's easy to say now, of course, but Western Conference finalists, you have him sewn in where he was all ready to sign it. And I guess I didn't read it yet. I'm going to read it when we get off the air here. But I guess he, made, he there was a scathing article that Brunson did. Um, I think Chris Haynes might have put it out from Yahoo Sports. But like I, I think they were pretty negative about the whole experience in Dallas, about how that whole negotiation went. Um, you know, I just want to read it because I, I haven't really heard a lot of stories about it. But you know, the Kyrie thing – you know, and Kyrie, like everyone's saying, he's awful in the locker room. He's this and that. I don't care about any of that. The basketball part is like I like him as a basketball player. I think he's a good player. I just think, and I don't even know if he's a cancer in the locker room. What I do know is he gets bored a lot, and he continues just to talk. And the more, like I think, the more damage that he does to himself is all the talking. Like. He's a big, you know, he's obviously a big activist, right? Jalen Brown's probably the biggest activist in the league, and he's not aggressive about it. Like, he'll mention it in, in when he's asked about things. He'll go on air and, and talk about things, you know, um, social justice and things like that. But, like, he does it in a sort of positive way. You know, he, he's very passionate about it. You know, he's very well-spoken about it. And then he moves on. But it seems like Kyrie gets bored and then just sort of talks himself into people not loving him anymore and not, and just sort of saying, all right, we've had enough. You know, I think there's a difference. I think you could use the platform of the media around surrounding NBA players. You could use it in a really good way. You know, whatever your thoughts are on politics or whatever, what have you, you have that, you have that platform where Kyrie, I think, takes it to a way other level. And then to some of the stuff he comes up with and says, then you're like, all right, yeah, this is a little bit too much. So I don't know. That just doesn't help. Doesn't help the situation. But I think they they got bigger problems than Kyrie's rants. They their roster makeup yeah. right now. Their rotations. I think you know it doesn't help. Yeah. But it, it's 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 not good. It's not good. And they they need to. There's not much they can do. I mean, maybe they pick up someone that gets a buyout soon. But there's not much guys left really. So I think there are. Uh, yeah, I think Maxi. I think I think they're going to sign a trade Kyrie. I think obviously Anthony Davis is someone that people will say they'll target. I'm telling you, I think if Philly doesn't win it, Daryl Morey is huge at trying to get stars. If it doesn't work, low-key sign and trade for Tyre, it's for Maxi for for Irving. I think that's something that, that people would think about. I'm not sure. I would just say that that that's something that would be looked at. But I think sign and trade for Kyrie. And yeah, you're right. But I think we could both agree that they weren't winning big games with the roster they had before the trade. The problem is when you look bad with the trade and you gave up a player that you had under contract, like like Dorian Finney-Smith and Dimwitty is somebody that you could sign. You could have signed long-term for shorter money and you have two guys that you can trust. Mm -hmm. And then your money's coming off the cap with some of the other, other players you can get rid of. Yeah, for sure. But I think they had to go for the home run. We all, I think 90% of the people out there probably didn't think it was going to work. But 
you know, the one thing they can do is sign a trade. The problem is you're going to get disgruntled superstar. And what if it doesn't work there? Anthony Davis injury issue. Bradley Bale has had injury issues before and it may not work with Luca. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. And then you've got, you know, some other players that you could try to look for. So, so Luca can extend next season. Is it next season? Well, I'm season. not sure. I think next season. I think next season. But he already just he just yeah. got a super max. Oh, did he? I just I think he just did it. Yeah, I think he did it. I think. Uh, okay, yeah. so I'm wrong. Yes, um, but yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see. I just, um, you know, I, it, well, it just seems a scuttlebutt around. They they better give something. They better build something around Luca. I thought he had less less years on his deal just by that narrative like oh they better do something he's gonna leave he's gonna leave in free agency it's like well dude 37 <laughs> if you just sign extension 40 37 this year 40 next year 43 24 he signed till 26 27 but the thing is yeah, so yeah they, he did a good yeah. deal problem is though if he just decides he wants to leave and he's all in on weaving which he hasn't really given yeah, any indication of that's when it becomes a problem and there's limited moves they can make i mean cap room i don't care who you are Cap room sometimes overrated if if there's a no one available and the right players aren't available and you just can't attract them for one reason or another it's 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 a problem so eh, it'll be interesting I don't want to I don't want to overdo it with the conversation with that I just wanted to sort of I, I forgot that I, I didn't know if we we're gonna talk that's why I held back a little bit because I thought we we're gonna talk about it later but I, I saw on the run sheet that it wasn't mentioned after that so I just wanted to make sure we got it in. Yeah, it'd just be interesting to see whether, whether whether he sticks around and who makes a play for him. But uh, yeah, Dallas, if you're a Mavericks fan, unlucky. All right, we well, brought back the Q and A's. We heard you. We've heard the people on social media saying, "Can you guys bring back the Q and A's?" So what we're going to do, if you want your question answered in the future, we're going to we're going to take questions from social media. So generally on the weekend, sometime Australian time, Sundays, we're going to put out a post. If you put your your questions in that post. Um, we'll pick one from each social media forum. So we're currently on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, Rogue Bogues, all one word. When you see that post, put it in the comments and you might be lucky enough to have yours read. So we'll start off with Twitter. This is from @lawzyc. What are the next two to three key things from your owner's hat perspective that need to be done to continue this momentum and crowd support in the NBL? Is it simply more teams, new markets, or is it more so increasing the cap? Uh, so I'll answer this one, Pro, because you're not an owner. But um, for me, it's there's a TV deal coming up. I hope that TV deal brings in some substantial um, income for for the league, and that get, that then gets dispersed to the clubs. That's number one. We still it's still a fine line um, to be profitable in the NBL. It's not easy. You need to you do need to basically make the finals to to have your club be profitable. Um, the NBL needs to make sure that even the teams that are not doing as well win loss can become and remain profitable. That's the number one thing for me because that's how you have teams go under. That's how you have teams go bankrupt. That's how you have owners get frustrated by continuing to sign checks every season that are in the in the minus. People, I don't care how much money you have. If you have billions of dollars, but you're continuously writing minus checks, every man's got, got a time limit with that. Trust me, every man and woman's going to eventually get to a point that says, you know what? Like, eh, not getting bang for buck. This is frustrating. Just on principle, I'm, I'm not going to keep writing these checks. So that's number one. Number two, I think more games. Now, people argue, well, more, more games. How are you going to do that? But we're trying to, we're trying to compete with AFL and footy, and sometimes we have that mindset of following their seasons of how many games they have, which is in the 20s. We're in the 30s. I would push it out a little bit more and maybe go to 36 games um, or 40 games, have, have you formulate that, or play everyone four times. At the moment, you play everyone 
most teams three times and some teams four. So I think going up to the high 30s, low 40s would be would be good just to get more games out there, better for TV deals as well. So that would be my second thing. And, and number three would be along those lines, I'd extend the semifinals to a five-game series as well. Make the semis a five-game, I make the grand final a five-game, I make it flow nicely um, into it. And I think you know teams that make the finals do make good money from those home games because they usually do sell out or come close to it. That'd be my three things. There's a lot of micro things that I would try to – Change. I know the league's working on a bunch of different initiatives. As I said earlier, the Japanese league is definitely a threat that we need to put in some things to try and stop that from happening. I'm not sure how. how. Uh, that's something we've got to brainstorm with other owners. But they're the three things in the NBL that I think are a key for um, continued growth because families are coming out, kids are coming out, parents are loving it. It's a great environment. If you've been to an NBL game, even if you – I'm all NBA, I don't like the NBL, I used to go. Go to a game, go to your local game. Um, it's, you know, it's, If you're in Sydney, go to a Kings game. It's a great event for kids, especially if you've got young kids. There's a lot going on and it's a fan-friendly environment, so I encourage that. That's the first question. Number two, this one you can get on with me, Pro. It's from Facebook from Matt Nolan. This is a good one. We've spoken about this a couple of years ago, but do you think the Celtics keep both Tatum and Brown long, long term um, with both looking like massive contracts coming in the future? Pro, what, what are your thoughts? Folks, I think we saw this problem with Oklahoma City when they could have resigned, you know, they could have resigned Harden. You know, they could have waited. They actually traded him early before they even had to do the extension. And they decided to trade him, and they got very little back in return. I mean, they rebounded, obviously, you know, from from doing that. But um, I think that if you're a big market team like Boston, you have ownership with money. You have two mega superstars, one mega superstar and one superstar in Jalen Brown. I, I think you have to keep it long term. I do. Um, I mean, look, you can get a lot for either one, but why would you even want to entertain it? You know, you've got two players that really – yeah, I think that I think any really good GM you've seen it in history with, um, with guys like Red Auerbach and you know, he saw it with the Bulls, he saw it with San Antonio. You just continued to revolve your role players and your other players around your superstars, and just you know try to just keep making trades and moves and things to keep you fresh, keep you get you know, keep getting assets where you can make moves you know down the line. But I, I wouldn't really entertain. I would pay the tax. You're a championship level team. I think you, you owe it to your fan base to do that. Um, I, I could see if you were a, a really mediocre team and you had all these high contracts where you're paying, you know, you're paying tax. Why, like Dallas. Yeah. Why would you do it? Right. <laughs> I don't even know what they pay in tax. But um, so yeah. So real quick. So so Jason Tatum has two more years beyond this season, and the third year, which is 25, 26, is a player option. Jalen Brown has one year remaining on his contract with no options after this season. So Brown's up in 24, 25. So um, I agree, Pro. I think you got to keep them both. You have to keep them both, just because they're scratching the finals, right? If this was your point, is what I'd put an exclamation point on. If they were mediocre, middle of middle tier, a Dallas. Uh, you know, one of those teams that's just kind of, eh, maybe we're second round. Uh, no, um, I'd probably look to move on in a year or two. But this is a this is becoming a better a, a, a better squad. Uh, Marcus Smart's locked up till twenty five, twenty six. Robert Williams is locked up till the same year. Um, they've got some continuity. They've got some decisions to make in the future. I mean, Derek White's there another two years. Brogdon's there another two years. Al Horford's there another two years. So you've got your core nucleus of guys. You sprinkle in a bit of youth. Um, they're going to have to decide what they do with 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 Grant Williams. 
Um, Pritchard is there for another year as well. So they've got a good core nucleus. They can then maybe bring in a mid-level guy and a couple of young prospects and I think they can then have some longevity. So I, I like it. I think you keep them both. No-brainer pro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, last one is from Instagram. This is from Crispy Charlton 23 Do you prefer watching the 90s style of basketball, which had a lot more focus on defense, or today's game where there is little defense but w- much more offensively based? Good question. For me, I, I like the 90s better. Um, look, I think there were aspects in the 90s that I'd still tweak a little bit. I think sometimes there was too much argy-bargy and clotheslining and hard fouling. So I think with that rule around the, you know, blatant stupidity on on just hard fouling guys that we have today where it's no tolerance, I'd bring that into the 90s and that'd be the perfect game for me. What I loved about the 90s and even the 2000s was just the difference in the styles of teams and like two meteors colliding with completely different makeups. And that's what that's what I enjoyed. It was like, shit, the Lakers are playing, you know, a fast-paced team. Is the triangle going to work against them? Uh, all the Bulls are old and raggedy, but they're playing this young um, up-and-coming team that just tries to have a high tempo. And then you've got Detroit Pistons of the early 2000s. They're going to grind you out and they want to play in the 60s and 70s. I love that battle, pro. Like, it was chess. It was like, which which coach's philosophy is going to work? Is it Phoenix Suns of Dan Tony or is it the Detroit Pistons with um, who was coaching then? Larry Larry Brown, right? Like that. That's what I enjoy. So I enjoyed back then. I think today's today's game's too predicated on flashy offensive plays. And I disagree with the league's take on that. That's what sells tickets. Look, I think it does to an extent, but that's gonna with the, with the quality of players you have today, it's gonna come out anyway. But I still think that. You know, I liked games around about the hundreds. That was a perfect fit for me, and that's that's my take on it, Pro. I think I know your take. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I agree with that. I think for the barbaric play, I think that, you know, the barbaric play, I think you could trade off on just sort of the, the dumb shot selection as done uh, across the board, you know, from even role players. And I, I think that, but it, it's a sort of a catch twenty two because, yeah, like you take a lot of bad shots from role players, but the role players are probably much more offensively gifted today. I would much rather watch nineties for sure. I thought the basketball was better. I thought you, I, I didn't think that everybody plays the same, like you said. I think everybody sort of had a little bit different style. Utah had the one four, you know, that they ran the one four stuff. You had triangle. You had, you know, you had Princeton on some teams ran Princeton. Um, yeah, it might be a little boring, it might be a little slower, but I think that you know, with with social media today, I think people want to be in the action, they want to be in the game. And I think that yeah, it is exciting a little bit when, when you're scoring 140, 150, but I think they would come anyway. You know, they like the league itself back in the eighties and nineties, uh, it was marketed pretty well, but it was a really good product that was very marginally you know, marginally marketed, in my opinion, especially older, 80s, 70s, 80s, whatever. But I think today, the product, in my opinion, isn't as good, but the marketing is off the charts. Like, you know, and, and that's what helps. And look, the I think the, I think the skill level is way higher just because there's more, we, we talk about this endlessly, so I'm not going to get into it, but I just think that there is a lot of offensive explosion where, like, you get your 12th man doing stuff that, you know, that players, that 12 men weren't doing in the 90s. We're not even close. But 
Also, I thought the role players knew their role a lot better and they sort of impacted winning way more than the role players today. So in most of them anyway. So I think that, you know, there's there's good and bad in both eras for sure. I would just much rather 90s. It, like, again, just this more, I think there was this more originality in the game. There's not as much now. Everybody plays the same, you know, threes layups, you know, no mid-range, very limited, you know, version of it, no defense. It's just different, you know, it's different. But uh, yeah, I would rather 90s. Agree. Send us off with a fact or fake news, bro. Folks, I'm just going to ask. Um, we talked about Ami Doka, you know, with, with, you know, possibly a couple of landing spots. Do you, th- uh, Ami Doka will be coaching the NBA next year. Fact or fake news? Fact, I think he's going to get back in the league. I think he's taking enough time off. I think teams are probably going to be comfortable enough that that was now long enough ago. It seems like an eternity ago. It was only the start of the season, I believe, October-ish. Um, but a full nine to 12 months before they they get involved with with talks for him to take over another team, I think is enough. Everyone deserves a second chance. We get on with life. I think he deserves on his coaching merit to be back in the league. You hope he learns his lesson um, for what happened off the floor. And I think, in fact, he will be back in the NBA. I just don't know where. Yeah, I agree. I think there's fact. There's probably going to be about five openings, you know, give or take. There's always that one or two openings that people never thought would open, but they open. And um, I think that he's going to be a high candidate in most of these spots. You, you know, even even Atlanta and a couple of these other spots that opened up, you know, people are ta- you know, wanting to talk, wanting to get permission to talk and all that. So I, I definitely think he's going to be in the NBA next year. It depends what. Maybe it's not one of those two, you know, t- two teams that we talked about tonight. I hope it's not Houston. I really like Steven Silas. You know, I hope he keeps, you know, keeps things rolling there or keeps rolling for himself. And, uh, but yeah, I think, I think he'll be in the NBA. I, I saw say it's fact. He will be in the NBA next year. Speaking, pro, speaking of coaching vacancies, is Jay Kidd completely safe? No, I, don't, I, I wouldn't think so. I'm not, I'm not hearing anything, but, I just think that that's what no one's mentioned. Like no one's mentioned that yeah. it's his second year, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's how the business goes. Look, if they if they don't go that far in the playoffs, it's one thing. But how bad it's going, and you know how it is. It's just it's a finger pointing game at some point. You know whose whose fault was it? Who knows? Like, and I don't like to talk about this because I don't like people. I don't like casually talking about people losing their jobs. But you're asking me the question. I don't think he's completely safe, especially if it if it ends in a really negative way. Like, look, they lost to one of the worst teams in the league in the last five years. This team is really bad, and they lost to him twice in a row. And it has it wasn't going great before that. So they need to do something to stop the spillage. They need to something. They need to sh- you know shut the spigot off and figure out like how are they going to get through this because if it ends up. Where they missed the playoffs all in, you know, and I think it all depends on Luca, right? Like if Luca says, "Hey, look, bad year. We're gonna regroup. We're gonna be good. We're all right. Everything's gonna be good." If he comes out and you know, basically, you know, like he was in that interview in that post game press conference, and he just has all the joy sucked out of it, regardless of whose fault it is, you know, that there, somebody's got to roll for it. And unfortunately, that's just how the league is. So I wouldn't say that he's in. T- I, I wouldn't say it's like a. I, I wouldn't say he's definitely gone, and they're going to make a change. But I definitely think that there's going to be way more media talk about it, especially if they start struggling. In, in a, imagine if they missed a play-in, 
you know, people are going to want to know. I think he's safe for the rest of the season. Obviously, he's safe for the rest of the sure. season. I think if they, if they, I think regardless of how they finish, unless they get to a second or third round, it'll take the heat off him. But even a first round, a plane, even a first round berth, somehow they get to six, isn't going to be enough. I think that he's safe right now, and then he's going to that pressure is going to. He's got to all star break essentially next season to to, to get this squad right. Um, and then I think Cuban's got to make some tough decisions because it's obviously not going to work out. So I think he's still got some time, but it's just interesting that everyone's talking about Luca and Kyrie and not, not being a good fit. Well, you know, he's the head honcho as well, so he needs to make sure that they're firing. But uh, we'll watch that space. Another Rogue Bogues and in the books. Appreciate everyone supporting the podcast. Make sure you get into some comments next week when we can uh, answer some of your questions and follow us on socials at Rogue Bogues at Hoop Consultants for all your pro needs. And we will see you all next week. All right, see you guys next week. Thanks. Let's get Rogue.